0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So uh, we've, we've had, looked at three prayers so far. Louis has touched on those, and we've called them dangerous prayers. When we say dangerous, what do we mean by Dangerous. I think when I think about the word dangerous, when we pray the prayers that we've talked about, show me your glory, search me and know me, not my will but yours be done. And the fourth one we're going to look at today, I believe, help my unbelief. If we pray these prayers, things can change. I think as people, we like the status quo. Even if the status quo, like the normal, the kind of normal pattern of our life, even if it's not particularly exciting or good. If it's not changing, we're generally pretty happy as people in that space. We know what's coming tomorrow. We know what's coming next week. We feel safe because of the consistency. Some unusual personalities don't like that. They like things to change all the time. I probably put myself in that bucket. I don't know why. Something's broken in me. But if you pray these prayers, expect life to change. Expect next week and the week after and the months to come to be different to be closer to God and to be led by God, who knows where, maybe even to somewhere so far south of Launceston, Um, it won't be the same. And that's good because we're led by a God who loves and knows us. Safe prayers the opposite, are things like, God help me, protect me, heal me, look after my family. They're good prayers too. There's nothing wrong with those prayers. They're pretty safe. They're safe prayers to go to God, and God wants us to pray those prayers too. But these are searching, proactive prayers, prayers that we're longing to understand and, and be closer to God through. And maybe one of the prayers so far has been really significant. Do you hope that they have? And I've heard, actually heard some great stories from people who have been praying, praying some of these prayers and just thinking about prayer more through these stories, through the, this series, sorry. Um I'd encourage you over Paella actually, Paella, Payalia to, um, to ask each other about what has been significant to you in this series. Maybe you've just thought about prayer in a different way. Maybe some, of, Maybe some of that change that I was talking about, you've already seen happen in your life. But maybe you've also found this series so far really difficult to engage with. Maybe when you think about prayer, it's not something that you naturally do. Um, or want to do, even still in considering it, maybe even more after this series. We had a guy from Melbourne come and preach last week, Brenton was his name, and he shared a story. I really, really appreciated his sermon, but he shared a story about how, you know, he's got a young family, he finds it hard to get time to go and pray. And so what he does is he gets up at six o'clock, he sets his alarm, he gets up at six o'clock every morning, and he gets time at his kitchen table where he can just sit and think, and pray, that's awesome. That's inspiring and I hope that we can do that too. But that's not me. I would love to have a rhythm and a pattern in my life where I I do that, but I don't have a pattern like that. And I suspect that for a number of us, we don't have patterns in our life like that too. That's really challenging, I reckon. Um, This prayer, I think, if we're like that, this prayer, I believe, help my unbelief, is a great prayer to pray. This prayer in various forms has been it has been really significant to me personally. I'll share a story of why that is a bit later on. But I think the thing that encourages me most about this prayer is it shows how we can come to God in our weakness and not in our strength. Even if we're not getting up at 6am every morning, that will be awesome. But if you can do that, do it. But even if we're not doing that and we feel like we're not good enough, like we don't have all of the answers, we don't have it together, We can pray this prayer. I believe, help me God, help my unbelief. Maybe sometimes you're a person that loves getting up early if you're not praying, you might be going for a walk some of the beautiful spots along the surf coast. Maybe when you sit out on the lookout, maybe in Janjuk and you look out over the water and over to the steps, maybe you feel something You wonder about if God, maybe there is a God, maybe he did make all of this. Maybe the universe that's so amazing, maybe there's someone that I wanna know more that put me here in this spot. Think you believe something, but you're not really sure what it is and you'd like to believe more. If that's you, this is a great prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe you're someone who's looking for purpose and meaning. You feel like there must be something more to this Jesus person but you're not sure what it is or what to do. Pray this prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe you're following Jesus. You've said that you're committed to Jesus, but life is hard. You have doubts and questions about whether God is still there. I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe in following Jesus, you come across significant areas of your life all the time, where you do things that you wish that you didn't do and the things that you want to do, you just keep trying to do them, but I can't do them. I believe, help my unbelief. I'd love, church, to encourage us to consider praying this prayer over the coming weeks and months and see how God can stir up faith and understanding in him that can change our life from the inside out. We can, this, in this prayer, we can approach God in our weakness and not in our strength. And so let's dive in and have a look at it. I want to look at the story before, at this story where the prayer is to give it some meat and some bones and some context, and then just quickly touch on how we can pray this prayer together. If it rains... One time I preached about halfway through last year, I think. We've we've normally had really good weather, surprisingly, even though there's El Nino, no La Nina, and it rains all the time. Sunday mornings it normally doesn't rain. But one time it bucketed. We got like an inch in about five minutes. And it was the only time I think that I've been preaching and everyone turned their back and (laughs) ran away. (laughs) So if, uh, if it starts to rain, right, I won't be offended. It's been done before. Just turn your back and run and go to your cars. Uh, and 89.5, you can keep listening. Uh, when we look at passages in the Bible, um, context is so important. It's so important to look at what is in the Bible before, what is in the context of the story, and what happens after, so that we make sure that we're not misinterpreting what is meant by a passage, especially something like this where it's just a few words, I believe, help my unbelief. The context that that story is in is really important to help us understand and apply it 2,000 years after it happened in a consistent and a correct way. So I just want to do that quickly. If you turn in your Bibles with me or your phones, um, your Bible that is sometimes a phone, um, if you look at Mark chapter 9 in verse 2, there's a story that's called, the title of it is called The Transfiguration. This is a huge story in the Bible. It's where Jesus goes up a mountain and he's physically changed. It talks about how he turns into this sort of glowing, super bright white. Um, his clothes sort of da- start to dazzle in a way that is a not an earthly way. It's like this, uh, you know, the God-man who's 100% man and 100% God, it's like he's he's kind of God now. Something's happening here where uh, the three disciples they get to go up to the mountain with him. Like, hey, this isn't a normal dude. Like, this guy is God, and I get to see it. I get to—he doesn't look normal anymore. I get to see that there's something really special about this person. They got to see God's glory in a really unique way. They had an amazing experience of who God is. The first prayer, actually, um, show me your glory. There's really strong parallels to um, where Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he prayed to God, he said, show me your glory. And at that time, God put him in a rock and he went past and Moses got to see his back. This story, Jesus goes up the mountain and the disciples, instead of seeing God's back, they see Jesus in all of his glory. Maybe not in all of his glory, but in a lot of glory. (laughs) It's pretty cool how we get to see that Jesus is how we now see God's glory, which Louis talked to us about two or three weeks ago. So these disciples, had this amazing mountaintop experience. They went up to the mountain and they had this amazing experience of seeing God. You know, we, yeah, the, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. They had this amazing experience. And I think sometimes in our walk with God, we can have those experiences. Today, I haven't seen Jesus on top of a mountain in all of his glory, but I've had some pretty awesome experiences of seeing and feeling God work in a really tangible way in our lives today. That can still happen and it still does. And maybe in this prayer series, you've had an experience like that too. I hope that that's the case. And these experiences, though, they're not normal. They don't happen all the time. This trans, transfiguration that happened to Jesus, it didn't. he didn't do it every week and the disciples got to, to see who, God's glory in this way. Um, it only happened once as far as it's reported. And when we have those experiences of God, share them, talk about them, encourage each other with those stories. They can and they still do happen today. But the story that we see today, where our prayer is prayed, is much more in normal life. Those big, high mountaintop experiences, um, when they happen, they're awesome. Remember, thank God for them and encourage each other with them. But we come down off the mountain into the valley, the normality of normal life, the mess of normal life, really, for most of us. My life's pretty messy. I dare say yours is too. <laughs> the world, there's lots that goes on. And we see in a story in the valley, it's not on the mountain where this prayer occurs, it's in the mess of somebody's life where this guy prays. Um, Yeah, that's where we pick up this story. So let me retell the story a little bit, and then we'll stop and consider some things about this prayer. So you'll see in verse 14, it says, And when they came to the disciples... This is Jesus and Peter, James and John coming off the mountain. They saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. You Can imagine this? There's this big crowd of people. I imagine, I don't know how many people there were. It doesn't really say, but a couple of hundred people in a town, maybe. There's a lot of noise. Imagine it being hot and dusty. There's lots of yelling. There's some people with someone's, you know, you imagine the boy over in the corner with the disciples around trying to you know, cast the demon out of this boy. And there's these scribes who are kind of the leaders of the day. You imagine them going, What are you doing? You can't do this. Look, it's clearly not working. And they're kind of heckling and stirring up the crowd. It's a pretty crazy scene. I don't know if you guys have watched The Chosen on TV, but I feel like what it does a really good job of is putting bones and kind of um, context to stories like this. Um, I don't know if this story is in The Chosen. I haven't watched it too much. But you imagine this big crowd of people, big noise, big mess, and people heckling too. It's interesting, I think, that the disciples had gone. Um, you know, Jesus wasn't here. He was up on the mountain doing his amazing God thing. Um, and without Jesus there, the disciples are trying to do the work that God, Jesus commissioned them to do. But we learn at the end of the passage, they weren't even praying. The last, last um, verse 29, it says, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So Jesus is away. He's gone up the mountain. The disciples are still trying to do the right thing, do the work. They're not even praying. It's pretty quickly that they rely on their own strength and the whole thing turns into a big mess. When Jesus rocks up, everyone runs towards him in verse 15. Immediately all of the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and they ran up and greeted him. kind of like saying, disciples, you kind of suck. This isn't working anymore. This is the dude that we actually want to see. The crowd runs to see Jesus. Jesus says, what are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered, this is the father. Here we see the father and his mess. He says, "Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able." It's a horrible situation. If you put yourself, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, you can still imagine. But I imagine my two boys and having a son that was like this—that would be such a horrible situation. I've heard a quote that you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And in Jesus, that doesn't have to be true, because we can get our hope and our joy in who Jesus is. But as a father, you can imagine how difficult this would be for him. And and this isn't a private thing, this boy being so unwell. This is kind of out in the main street with the whole town kind of harassing and heckling and seeing how unwell his boy is. Jesus' response is really interesting. He says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Can you imagine the disciples? They've been trying to cast this demon out. They couldn't. They were trying to do it in their own strength. The crowd, as soon as Jesus rocks up, they all disappear and go to Jesus. They're like, oh, I guess we're not going so good. And then... Jesus, after he sees the situation, Jesus says, how long have I got to put up with you? You can imagine how they're feeling now. It's like, oh, this day has gone from bad to worse. You faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long do I have to bear with you? Bring him to me. You see, the disciples are trying to do this in their own strength. Perhaps they're trying to muster up their own faith, faith in themselves, faith in what they've seen Jesus do, but their faith in the, at this moment doesn't appear to be in who Jesus is, in His strength, and in His power. When they brought the, it says there in verse twenty, they brought the boy to Him, and when the Spirit saw Him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Things get worse as this boy comes to Jesus. And Jesus asked the Father, how long has this been happening to him? I've been reading a a book which isn't on this topic at all, but it talks about how Jesus converses and relates to the world. And there's a stat that I find really interesting. It says Jesus is 40 times more likely to approach, when someone's talking with him, or specifically when someone asks Jesus a question, he's 40 times more likely to ask a question than to deliver a statement. Jesus really wants to understand and know the people that he's interacting with. This question here, how long has this been happening to him? Jesus is God. He is the God-man. He knows everything, right? He doesn't need someone to tell him how long this has been going on for. He wants the Father to talk. He wants to hear and understand the Father's heart. And first, the Father just asks for help. The father says, "This has been happening since childhood, and it's often cast him out, cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us." The father prays a safe prayer first up. He says, "Hey, look at my situation, Jesus. Everyone's looking at it. I'm in a bit of a. I'm in a big mess. If you can do anything, if you can." Just help me. Have compassion and help. Praise a safe prayer. Basically says, Fix my stitch, please, Jesus. It's not going so good. But we see from Jesus' next comment, it's not really what Jesus is looking for. Jesus keeps crying, he keeps digging deeper. Jesus says, If you can, do you know who I am? (laughs) If you can. All things are possible for him who believes. You see, it makes sense for the father to be pretty discouraged at this point. He comes to Jesus saying, if you he can help me, no one else can, but if you can, can you have some compassion and help me, please? The father wants Jesus to fix his problem, to come in and sort it out. But Jesus knows that he's got bigger and deeper needs than that. He needs to believe in and know who Jesus is. Not just Jesus to come and fix his situation. Jesus knows that he needs more than that. He needs to believe in and know who he is. And in response to Jesus' statement, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. The Father cries out in honesty. He's had a really rough ride. He worries that what he does or says next could have a big influence on the outcome for his son and his family. And here his cry is different. It says, immediately the father cried out. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. So it's taken a while, but we're at the prayer. (laughs) And so I want to look firstly at one thing that I think this prayer doesn't mean and two things that it does mean. So first we'll look at something that it doesn't mean. It's probably not good practice to start on a negative, is it, when we're looking at it. But I want to start on and first talk about one thing that this prayer doesn't mean. I don't think that this prayer means that we can ask Jesus for whatever we want, believe that we will get it, and Jesus must deliver it. don't think that that's what this prayer means. There are a number of popular preachers that do follow that line of thought. Popular positive thinking psychology also follows this line of thought. You know, Believe you'll deserve it, the universe will serve it. Hashtag positive vibe tribe. (laughs) There's a lot of thinking that really Maybe they're not quite that explicit. That is a quote. I didn't make that up. (laughs) And there's some value to thinking positively, for sure. If we think positive thoughts, it does change how we um, interact with the world, how we think about the world, can influence those around us. But it doesn't muster up some sort of special Star Wars force-like faith belief thing that forces change in the world. Both of these things the popular pop psychology type thing, and also just believing that if we name something and believe it enough, then Jesus will do it. Both of those things are wrong. Last week, we prayed the prayer, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prayed that prayer just after he'd asked God for a change in his circumstances. Jesus prayed, hey, this thing that's coming up, God, please let this cup pass from me. I don't really want to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. Did Jesus just not have enough faith in that moment? Clearly not, right? He asked for a change in circumstances, but he still put it at God's feet and said, "Hey, God, not my will, but yours be done. Yours be done." The Apostle Paul in two Corinthians twelve is similar story where he asks. For a thorn in his flesh, we don't know exactly what it was to be removed. It it says he prayed it three times. He said, God, please change this thing. I don't want this thing anymore. God says, no. Did the Apostle Paul just not have enough faith? Did he not, not muster up enough of this Star Wars force to change the world around him? Well, clearly not. In John 15:7, there's a similar statement to this one that Jesus makes, where he's saying, All things are possible if you believe. John 15 7, it has a similar statement, but with a really helpful qualification. It says, If you abide in me, this is Jesus talking, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There's there's a really key Thing here, which is the abiding of his word in us and aligning our will to his will, then all things are possible with Jesus. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. They're awesome promises, but the key is aligning our will to his praying not just this prayer, these prayers off on their own, but also not my will, but your will be done. When we pray like this, we can submit our will to his God. To our our will to his. We can pray massive, big prayers. We can expect great things from God and we can attempt great things from God, to quote William Carey. And they're great things to do, but we submit it all to God. I think if we get too carried away with the sort of believing that I can just get enough belief and Jesus will do anything for me, what we're actually doing in that. Place, is putting ourselves in the place of God. I think that there's this sort of worldview that can come where, you know, whatever I pray, whatever I want, God can give me through this sort of positive mustering up, up enough belief line of thinking. But it puts us at the centre of the universe, like that we're God. And God is this thing, Jesus is this thing that sort of orbits around us that we can call in and ask for help from. When we need, oh, I believe this enough, God, so now give it to me. It's not how the world works. God is actually in the center of the universe. If you think about the the sun in our universe, that's God, and we orbit and are much smaller, like little planets in God's big picture and scope. Through His amazing grace, God wants to hear from us. He wants us to pray, He wants us to ask. And prayer does change things, but God is still in the middle. And we um, we can submit to his will. And I reckon that's a good thing, hey. If I was in the place of God and all the things that I would prayed for had happened, the world around me would be pretty messed up. <laughs> in hindsight, we can often look back and see, even when situations are difficult and hard, we can see how God works through those situations um, to bring about a deeper set of relationships with each other and a deeper understanding of who he is. is. That's the first thing that it doesn't mean, the prayer. It doesn't mean that we can just ask whatever we want, whenever we want, and God will just dish it up if we believe it enough. The first thing that the prayer does mean is kind of the opposite of that. It means that we can come to Jesus in our weakness, and not in our strength. In his book, Tim Keller, he puts this beautifully, much better than I could. So I'm just gonna read a quote from him. He says, Jesus could have told this man, I'm the glory of God in human form. Purify your heart, confess all your sins, get rid of all your doubt, and all of your double-mindedness. Once you've surrendered to me totally, and you can come before me with a pure heart, then you can ask for the healing that you need. But Jesus doesn't say that, not at all. The boy's father basically says the opposite. Not faithful. I've got. I'm full of doubt. I believe. I think. I kind of believe. But help me, please. And that helped me, helped my unbelief. That is saving faith. That's faith in Jesus instead of himself. In this prayer, we see that we can come to Jesus in our weakness, in our helplessness, and not in our holiness, and not in our strength. Jesus doesn't say those things to the guy. He doesn't say, get it all together and then come to me. And the reason that we can come to Jesus in this way is that he is actually the source of our faith, and he is the source of our belief. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's lots of of people's favourite Bible verse, and for good reason. It says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this isn't your own doing, it's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I think it's such a common thought pattern that we feel like we've got to get everything right before we come to Jesus. We want to approach Jesus in our holiness. We basically want to say, and I've done this before, hey Jesus, I've got it together, I've lived a good life, I've got up early, maybe I didn't get up at 6 o'clock, but I prayed a lot, I read my Bible all the time, I tell people about you. Now bless me. (laughs) That's the opposite of what's going on in this story. It's actually helplessness that's the key. Jesus, I can't do this, but help me. And it's because Jesus is the one who does the work of salvation. He is the source of our faith so that we can approach him in our weakness and not our strength. The second thing that I think this prayer means is that sometimes things might get worse, not better, worse, depending on how you define better and worse, right? You see, in the story, after this happens, Jesus says, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. Straight after this prayer, it looks worse, right? <laughs> At least my boy was alive before. Now he's dead. I liked it better before, Jesus. Thankfully, he isn't dead. That's awesome. <laughs> Jesus casts the demon out and his boy is well and goes off with his family. But in the passage after this, it talks about how Jesus says he's going to go back down to Jerusalem and he's going to die there. And Jesus calls us to do the same thing. We praise His prayer, God, I believe, help my unbelief. That leads to a life where we die to ourselves. God calls us to live not the way that we might think is the best way to live. He calls us to live the way that he defines is the best way to live. And maybe that means that our life doesn't look as successful on the outside to others. Maybe the sacrifices that we make that make our life worse instead of better. But this life, trusting in the person of Jesus, that we see the Father demonstrate here, that is the good life. Jesus says that he comes to give us life, an abundant life. Belief. Life with belief in Jesus will look different. It's better for sure. It's better because we have a relationship with our Creator. We can live a life in the way that our Creator designed it, with purpose and with joy and with passion. Maybe the life that we live doesn't look better by all definitions, but it's better by God's definition, and that's the one that matters. So how can we pray this prayer today? For me, a prayer, this prayer in sort of, maybe not these exact words, has been really significant to me through, through difficult times. Um, in my early 20s, I, before my early 20s, I'd lived, I didn't really realize it at the time, but I'd lived a pretty charmed life. My dad uh, was a minister at a church. We had a um, beef cattle farm up in the bush. Had a great group of friends. School was a really good experience for me. I was talking with someone the other day who was talking about how they were bullied at school. That wasn't the case for me. Maybe that means I was the bully. I'm not sure. But uh, (laughs) my growing up experience, I don't think I was the bully. My growing up experience, my home life, my church life, into my early 20s, was great. I think I had this, and I was a committed Christian. I was studying at theological college. Um, I thought that I was going to go and be a pastor or do some church work with my life. I was doing a bunch of different things. And I think, and, and I thought that all of those things, this good life that I had was somehow, and in my, I probably hadn't really articulated it very well, it was somehow related to me my dad and my family doing the right things. They knew who Jesus was. We submitted our life to him. We went to church on Sundays. We prayed. We read the Bible. We did all the things that we were supposed to do. And look, life is good. That's just kind of what happens, isn't it? Is what my young person thought. The situation in my family changed really quite significantly. Um, So there was kind of issues related to that. But the Black Saturday bushfires also came, they burnt the town that I grew up in, um, our family home, down to the ground. Lots of my friends died in the fires. And I prayed to God and I said, hey God, I thought you were good. What is this about? This is supposed to happen. I believe, I guess. I thought I did. I think I do. But help me, please. Help me understand. Help me understand how, if you're a good God, this my life that I thought was so good is not good anymore. What God showed me was Jesus. He showed me how Jesus understood. He was the God man who came down from heaven. He gave I thought my life was good. His life up there was much better. <laughs> he came down and he died the death of a criminal so that I could be one. He understood what loss was. He understood pain in a way that I couldn't understand, and he took it for me. He showed me that through reading, through sharing my story with people, people encouraging me. Because to see God's glory in the person and work of Jesus revealed in my life through a prayer just like this one, Maybe that's you. Maybe life is hard for you and you don't understand how God could let that happen. Pray, I believe. Help, my unbelief. Maybe the prayers that we've talked about so far seem unapproachable. Show me your glory. Maybe you don't feel like you can pray pray that prayer. But you can pray, I believe. Help, my unbelief. Maybe you're out on that lookout, looking over the water, and you feel something. You wonder if there's a God out there. You feel like there must be. Pray, I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe you're looking for purpose and meaning in your life. You feel like there must be something to this Jesus guy that all these churches always talk about. Pray, Jesus, I believe in something. Help my unbelief. Maybe you're following Jesus and there's significant areas of your life where you just don't do the things that you want to do, where Jesus' glory and his goodness isn't shone on both parts of your life, but you want it to. Pray, I believe, help, I unbelief. Don't wait until you feel like your life is all together to approach Jesus in this way. Jesus doesn't need your life to be together, to be sorted for you to be holy so that he'll accept you. Approach him just like this father in your weakness. Not your strength. Church, I'd encourage you to pray this prayer over the coming weeks and months and see how God can stir up a faith and an understanding in him. Let's pray this prayer in our weakness and throw ourselves onto Jesus' amazing grace. With him, Everything is possible. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.